This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free and bring up whatever's on your mind. 1-800-259-9231 is the Packet8.net toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark? You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you to access their websites. We do it for free. So enjoy. freetalklive.com. All right, so to start things out tonight here, let's do an uh, an industry story, Mark. A story oh. that relates to the radio business. I love, I love that. Well, it's not a good story. Mm. It's kind of uh, sad, actually. Sacramento, California, a woman who competed, according to the Associated Press, in a radio station's contest to see how much water she could drink without going to the bathroom, mm. died of water intoxication. It does happen. The coroner's office said on Saturday... Jennifer Strange, who's 28, was found dead Friday in her suburban Rancho Cordova home hours after taking part in the Hold Your Wee for a Wee contest in which KDND 107.9 promised a Nintendo Wii video game system for the winner. She said to one of our supervisors that she was on her way home and her head was hurting real bad, said Laura Rios, one of Strange's co-workers at Radiological Associates of Sacramento. She was crying, and that was the last that anyone heard from her. It wasn't immediately known how much water Strange consumed. A preliminary investigation found evidence, quote, consistent with a water intoxication death. How much do you have to drink to get that to happen? I mean, that's... I know that I feel all kind of messed up if I drink a lot and I haven't gone to the bathroom in a while. I feel kind of just off. And so I can imagine that times 100 or something could could kill you. I guess. I've, I've never experienced this, so I, I don't know what it's like, but I do know that it happens. Um, as a matter of fact... Uh, Raver kids, uh, the ones, you know, taking ecstasy and sometimes mm-hmm. will, uh, you know, sometimes this will be what kills them. I guess so, yeah. Uh, John Geary, the vice president and marketing manager for Intercom in Sacramento, the station's owner, said station personnel were stunned when they heard of Strange's death. That's because they don't, you know, who who thinks that there's such a thing as water intoxication? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... A- I, I can imagine it would be a surprise. Yeah. I, I happen to know that it exists, and I wouldn't have uh, put this little uh, that contest contest on. Yeah. Water seems like something that would be very, very safe. and uh, You wouldn't even think you'd have to um, have them sign waivers or anything for this. You wouldn't. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the state station shouldn't have, them ha- have to have them sign waivers. Right. The f- simple fact that they were having a contest is, uh, you know, it, it's secondary to the fact that they chose to drink that water. It's true. Uh, they say they're waiting information that will help explain how the tragic event occurred. He said initially contests or contestants were handed eight-ounce bottles of water to drink every 15 minutes. They were small little half-pint bottles, so we thought that it was going to be easy, said fellow contestant James Ibarra of Woodland. They told us if you don't feel like you can do this, then don't put your health at risk. Ibarra said he quit after drinking five bottles. My bladder couldn't handle it anymore, he It was said. 15 minutes, right? Uh, 15 minutes, one every 15 minutes is how, what they had to drink. Well, yeah, so eight ounces every 15 minutes. It doesn't seem to me, that seem, doesn't seem like nearly enough to uh, cause water intoxication, but um, or hyperhydrization or something like that, I believe its uh, medical name is. Anyway, hyperhydration. After he quit, though, the remaining contestants, including Ms. Strange, were given even bigger bottles to mm. drink. Ibarra said, I was ta- talking to her, and she was a very nice lady. She was telling me about her family, her three kids, and how she was doing it for her kids. And now her kids, I don't know, do you think they got the Wii out of all this? I imagine they did, but I, I don't think that it's, uh, I, I think that it's nothing compared Mom's to their mom. Dead. Yeah. 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 That's really sad, man. I, I don't even know. Did, did, she did win, right? I don't know. It doesn't say. Oh, my gosh. She just died 
after uh, the contest. Man, how awful. In her home. Not that winning would have made it really much different. No, certainly not. Winning is better, though. Let's it's just a tragic, <laughs> tragic story. You don't often hear that people perishing in uh, radio station wacky contests. And so that's why I figured I'd bring you that story. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. Another short one from Tennessee. This one's more bad news. A Tennessee legislator introduced uh, Friday a proposal that would curb over-the-air broadcast and cable television advertising for adult entertainment products that the state deems obscene. Mm, great. Senate Bill 14 was drafted by Senator Doug Jackson from Dixon, who said he was specifically bothered by late-night ads from Santa Monica, California-based Mantra Entertainment that peddles softcore porn. Commercials like those promoting Girls Gone Wild are mm. clearly supporting an obscene product, Jackson said in a statement Friday. These products Doesn't are, seem clear to me. These products are illegal under Tennessee law, and we have a clear interest in preventing their advertising. Jackson's bill not only targets those types of ads on public airwaves, but paid subscription cable systems and satellite systems as well. This man is out God. of his mind. Because how is this going to be possible? There's... <laughs> If you're originating programming in another state entirely, for instance, I mean, that's like the equivalent of saying, Free Talk Live, you guys can't run those uh, uh, those free, free State Project commercials anymore. They're obscene. But if you tell Free Talk Live, or the, in this case, HBO or whoever it is, and HBO doesn't run ads, but um, who would run these ads? Uh, the USA Network? USA Network. Okay, great example. You tell USA Network, okay, you can't run these ads in Tennessee. Well, USA Network's just going to say, okay, well, then in that case, you're going to have to make sure that the cable providers in Tennessee right. aren't running our programs because we can't go and put up another uh, satellite channel just for the uh, the receivers in Tennessee, can't. just for the people living under your jurisdiction. So there, this is going to be very, very difficult to enforce. His bill not only targets, uh, again, the you, you could easily target the broadcasters, the ones with a stick, mm-hmm. the ones with the antennas. Them you could mess with. But the cable providers, you can't have somebody sitting there monitoring a channel all day and all night to, just to see if a Girls Gone Wild spot is going to come up at 2.30 in the morning. And you can't expect them to send uh, an affidavit with all of the spots that they're running, all the commercials that they're running, in advance to each cable provider to say, be ready to black this out at 2.30 a.m., uh, 15 minutes after the hour or something like that. You can't do that. I mean, the logistics of this is insane. But he thinks it's obscene, Mark, so legislation is the answer. Now, is it obscene? I mean, even that's another question. Obscenity, of course, is in the eye of the beholder. Obviously, this guy is a little bit perverted, and he thinks that uh, Girls Gone Wild is obscene. Yeah, that's all that is. It's nakedness. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, I don't think there's much sex that goes on in those videos. Oh, I don't think there's any. It's pretty much girls getting naked. I don't think that there's any... uh nakedness in the pant area i think we're talking about nakedness yeah just topless nakedness i would be a little bit aggravated if all i got was toplessness and i purchased that that's all they're advertising well if you've seen the television at night he says you can't help but see the suggestive disgusting commercials advertising a product that's clearly obscene in nature we want girls gone wild and their obscenity laden products off our airwaves oh hmm well wait a minute he says off our airwaves but in the case of now, a socialist could make an argument that the the airwaves are indeed public and ours. Of course, we can. And, and somebody that. who doesn't think about it, um, you know, doesn't doesn't put any any thought into the uh, airwaves argument, could say that uh, the airwaves are ours, um, commu- publicly owned. I could I could see how they uh, how they were approaching that, but there's no way that you could claim 
that the cable system uh, is yours. That's owned by Time Warner or Comcast or Adelphia or whoever it is that owns the cable system in your area. They paid to put those lines in. They paid for their receivers and their uh, their transmitters and their signal uh, to transmitter links and all of those things. They those are private investors involved there. And the same thing with radio stations and the television stations as well. That the point is they're not your airwaves, sir. They're not anybody but those who bought the transmitters. You just get to listen and listen and watch. Well, you know that, and that doesn't say you're not even addressing the uh, cable um, company's interest in this. I mean, the cable company. It, it's their wire strung that's what on I'm saying. their poles. Right. Um, that's not even airwaves. Well, that's what I said. They paid for oh. the cables. I'm sorry. I've... Same thing with DirecTV and uh, all the other uh, DBS broadcasters. It's their satellite. It's their transponders. They're paying either for the satellite and having it launched, or they're paying to rent space on the satellite. This is private property, my friend, but he's going to pass a bill to, uh, to, to legislate it. The bill also amends the uh, blah 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 language regarding the distribution of adult material, streamlining it with the federal record-keeping rule of 2257. If passed by the Senate and signed by Tennessee's governor, the bill could become law by July. So get ready, Tennessee. No more Girls Gone Wild commercials on your airwaves. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number here. You can take control of the airwaves. And, of course, just the, the definition of obscenity is so nebulous, it's so vague, that these people can get away with these things. These legislators can get away with passing all sorts of... Uh, and, and to me, the legislation is obscene. <laughs> That's how I feel about this. I feel like it's obscene to tell private business owners what they can and can't do with their lines and transmitters and satellite transponders. And it's disgusting. 800-259-9231, the demise of trophy wives. Coming up, it's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the packet8.net toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away, including live streams. There's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version as well, so do enjoy those. They're free. freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Well, is it the war on drugs? Register now for the February of 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers are to include Jack Cole, the Executive Director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and Rob Campia, Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project, and New Hampshire residents who are working to end the war on drugs. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information. And to get registered, that's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. So, let's go to London. And ABC News reporting on a new trend the demise of the trophy wife. And I think this is just fantastic news, personally. Okay. Uh, I personally don't uh, care much for gold diggers, and that's what this article is all about. This is the latest dispatch from a battlefield where casualties are counted in the millions each year. Most wars, including, it's hoped, the one in Iraq, end eventually. This conflict thunders on and on throughout the centuries. The only thing that changed, or the only things that changed, are the weapons, the tactics, and the cost of losing a battle. It's the war of the sexes, and it's just taken another fascinating twist. According to a newly published British-based economic study, the trophy wife, that controversial symbol of success and prowess for men with money, also known as the domestic goddess, could soon become a thing of the past. 
David Blackaby, a professor of economics at Swansea University in South Wales, United Kingdom, told ABC News, quote, what we're seeing now is a sordid mating, which is like marrying like. For example, get-up-and-go men are more inclined these days to marry get-up-and-go women. People are also marrying people from the same skill groups. That means more and more men are marrying women with whom they have something basic, something postmodern in common. They both earn salaries. So, according to the study, the gender pay gap is closing. In the 1970s, according to the study, for every 1,000 hours worked, men were paid 45% more than women were. By the year 2002, women had narrowed the gap, and men were on average making 25% more than their female counterparts. Also, by the 1980s, 50% of married women held salary jobs, and by the mid-90s, 70% of married women had careers outside the home. The study suggests there are fewer and fewer stay-at-home wives, and the ranks of those so-called trophy wives are getting thinner and thinner. The possible reasons for this might tell us something about the current state of the War of the Sexes. Blackaby told ABC News the reason for the change from the 80s is that women are taking advantage of less discrimination in the workplace. Family size has uh, been reduced, so women don't need as much time off for childbearing. And those who work continuously know that they can achieve pay equality if they don't take time off. Nannies are being employed, and the children are being sent to private schools. ABC News spoke to Dan Church, 32, from Surrey, England. He co-founded the headhunter firm Hydrogen Group and is married to Olivia Stockdale, who runs Iberian International, a property consultancy. says, we, were both, uh, we both decided that we were going to marry. We were both headstrong in our careers, both independent. We both had our own lives. I think the key to our marriage is that we still have that independence. My wife and I can encourage each other and still have our own stuff to do outside the marriage. Because we both work, we also have a better lifestyle. And I personally can can relate to this to an extent because I think it's important, and this is how I my relationship is. I think it's important for both um, both people in a relationship to remain individuals and to hold on to their property individually. So, for instance, um, my car is my car. Now, my girlfriend can use my car. And there are certain parameters that will surround that, but we don't co-own the car together. Similarly, we don't co-own the house together either. It's my house. And so I think it's important to keep those things separate, and I think that's what they're, what they're touching on here. Because if you get into a relationship and you've got, uh, it, essentially, you're just giving things to this other person, you're going to spoil them. And that, I think, is something you don't want to do. You don't want to uh, start out a relationship by spoiling the other person. And if you don't start, if you don't start, or excuse me, if you do start out a relationship by by spoiling the other person, then that's going to be hard to get away from in the long in the, the long run. Do you see where I'm coming from? Oh, I see where you're coming from. I I, I might have some disputes um, mm-hmm. with uh, how it is that you are talking about. Uh, one should run their uh, uh, domestic life. Yeah. Like for instance, um, you, families function as a unit i mean there's things that need to be done um especially if you have kids uh, in your particular case uh, you you you're uh, snipped so you're not going to mm-hmm. have kids unless you decide to adopt them which right. you may very well decide to do in um later in life but um you know you know there's there's things that need to be done cooperatively when you're uh, living in a home and um and when you're in a relationship and it seems to me that some of those things can be difficult. I mean, for instance, you're going to have a contract for who cleans, um, who cleans when. Who, um, you're going to have a contract for who cooks when. You're going to have a contract for who pays for what food. You're going to have, uh, you know, there's there's agreements that would have to be put in place for all these things, rather than a simple, um, you know, situation as let's pool our money and let's buy stuff. 
I don't think that's so simple. I think you're making it sound like it's and simple, but it's actually simpler the original way. You make it sound like there are a bunch of contracts involved when, in fact, there's just a simple agreement that, uh, that says who does what. And when you pool money together, then things get messy. Things do get messy, absolutely. Right. Um, but because it's more complicated. It's more complicated to extract yourself from it. It's not complicated to die married. I see um, what you're saying, but it could... It, it, it can lead, in my opinion, to more complications in that if you're pooling money together and one person is taking more money out and the other person doesn't feel like they should be taking as much as that other person is taking, that could cause some conflict. It certainly does. Uh, um, relationships can have a very difficult time when one person's a saver and one person's a spender. Right. I could really see I could see myself getting very angry about that sort of thing, which is why I don't combi- combine those. I think, you, I, think that, uh, it, it's, I think it's best to uh, look at the p- specific scenario and... And design something that, uh, that that works for the couple, um, you know, between pooling money and between having separate arrangements. For instance, with my wife, my wife and I own our cars. Mm-hmm. I just bought a car to replace the car that she wrecked. <laughs> well, I, I was in the car also, but uh, she happened to be driving. Um, so I just purchased a car to replace that car. Right. Um, the fact that she was driving... I didn't charge her money um, for the difference between what the uh, insurance company paid me and uh, mm-hmm. what she, um, you know, what I felt the value of the vehicle was. I don't think that would be fair. You know, why wasn't I driving? Um, why, you know, I purchased the insurance. She yeah. didn't. You know, she maybe her insurance company would have given me the value of, you know, the full value of the vehicle. So I don't think that it's entirely fair to, uh, you know, separate things. At, I don't think that things being separated completely is going to lead to um, a particularly um, I agree with you well connected relationship. I don't think they're going to be you know there's not going to be a lot of trust. There's not going to be a lot of feeling loved, and that's how I feel about. I, it. I feel I see how you, I see where you're coming from on that, and I don't think that we separate everything completely. But for the most part, um, there is mostly total separation, mm-hmm. and I think there's plenty of love to go around. There's no issues uh, with money, and I think that's that... That's why I think it I should think be that, separate for different um, different couples. Right. I think that well, obviously you should look at it for yourself and, mm-hmm. and see how you feel about it. The reason I'm throwing this out there is because it is a different idea. The traditional way of doing things is to pool everything together, mm-hmm. and I just feel like that's just bad. Uh, well, enter the uh, the toxic wife. It's a term used by Tara Winter Wilson, a freelance writer for the Daily Telegraph in London, who sides with men on an issue tailor-made to stir up emotions, righteousness, and indignation on both sides. And that is the trophy wife, the toxic wife, as she puts it. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And Fred's call is on the way as well with an update on the Ed and Elaine Brown case in New Hampshire, the tax so-called tax dodgers who are being prosecuted right now by the federal government. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free, 800-259-9231 is the Packet8.net toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Get signed up for the updates. Whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show, you'll know first if you're on the updates list. And you can get on there for free at updates.freetalklive.com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, and they do it in a whole new way. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, you want to keep those clients, too. 
SACL CAI. Check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support FTL. Well, we were going to go to Fred, uh, but he dropped off the line. So I just figure I'll give you the quick update on what's going on with the Ed and Elaine Brown trial, and then we'll get back into Trophy Wives. But apparently what has happened is Elaine, the wife, went to court today. Mm-hmm. And I guess she was trying to, to still cut a deal with the prosecutors. And Ed stayed home. Word is he said he's going to shoot anybody that tries to come arrest him. Good Lord. So that's where it stands at the moment. We'll continue to give you updates as we learn more. We're talking about trophy wives, or toxic wives, as Tara Winter Wilson calls them, in an ABC News article um, taking place over in London, England. She's a freelance writer for the Daily Telegraph, and she sides with men. She sums up her hypothesis, quote, Rich men have finally cottoned on to the sinister side of the stay-at-home wife. Unless you marry an equal who's going to pay her own way, you'll end up with a lazy, indulgent, over-pampered slug, for the transition from trophy wife to toxic wife is as fast as the end result is furious. Winter Wilson says she knew, quote, many men of my age and acquaintance who become deeply bitter and disappointed about how their wives have changed since they hung up their work clothes. She spoke with one man who complained, quote, my wife gives over the whole, uh, my wife gives over the whole of the weekend to pursuing what she calls me time. She goes to retreats. Yoga, mini breaks, a spa, a health farm, even art classes, all of which I pay for, of course. <laughs> and what do I get back in return? Nothing. So, going on testimony from Winter Wilson's male friends, fear of ending up with a toxic wife might also motivate some men to seek out self-supporting spouses these days. No statistics prove or disprove that thesis, but I can say that it definitely motivates me. It, it, same here. Um, I... I wouldn't want a wife that didn't have a job um, in the same way that I couldn't operate uh, my mentally. I would deteriorate and be upset and depressed if I didn't have a job to do mm-hmm. um, most of the day. You know, I mean, I take I take breaks from the work that I do during the day, selling free talk live, the advertisements, sure. that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, at the same time, I need to have that work in order to keep my mind active, to keep me happy and uh, my my feelings buoyed. Just think about what the trophy wife is, though. I mean, the trophy wife is nothing but a sh- something to show off, right? It's a trophy wife. You have one of, of those because you're rich and you can get a very attractive lady, right? That's the purpose of a trophy wife is to have somebody very attractive with which you can hopefully have sexual interactions with. Right. That's the purpose of them. Because uh, they're probably not going to spend any time in the kitchen. They're probably not going to do anything uh, that wifely beyond spreading their legs. And that's why guys go after trophy wives. So it they sounds can take like, them their part their parties and show them off. It sounds like this gentleman uh, who was uh, you were just reading about. Um, she's gone all weekend long mm-hmm. at uh, you know different retreats and that kind of thing. Right. Doesn't sound like he's even getting his uh, you know the the wifely benefits. True. Because I mean. Why should she? I mean, she's not required to do anything. She can just, she's married to the guy. She knows that if uh, there's a divorce, she's going to take him to the bank. And that's a, that's the other problem here, is it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no logic to having a trophy wife. Think about it. Even though you've got a lot of money, you probably want to keep some of your money. So you want to have this attractive lady around. So you get this attractive lady in. She's, maybe you're in your forty your 40s and she's in her 20s. So you get this uh, t- attractive young woman, and she comes in there, and she has, has sex with you often enough to where you're pleased with your purchase, so to speak. 
And uh, then eventually this woman is going to get older and she's going to inevitably lose her attractiveness. She's not going to be a pretty 20-year-old anymore. And so then you've lost your trophy wife. Now you've got an old trophy wife who's still mooching off your wallet and not actually doing anything in return, and you're now upset because you originally just wanted some hottie to have sex with, and now you've got an old bag on your hands. What do you want to do? Get rid of her? Well, she's going to take you to the cleaners in the divorce settlements. You go cheat on her? Well, you could do that. Then you're going to get an even uh, deeper S if uh, if she finds out. Well, so really, it's all it is is based on it on looks. And whenever you go into a relationship based on looks, I think you're going to have trouble. If that's all your relationship is based on, you're 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 aiming for some hard times. And I I just think it's a bad idea in general to I, go after. I would wife. agree with you. Um, you know, obviously, this is a situation that uh, to some extent or another defies logic. Um, there is no logic behind what attracts people to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not there. You know, it's, it's some kind of you know biology, and and that's what's going on. Like, like let's take Larry King for for example. Okay. I don't know how many wives he's had, but let's pick a number six. Okay. Has he had a lot? He's had a lot of okay. wives, and I think six may be correct. Somebody will uh, inevitably email in and gotcha. tell me that it was, in fact, seven or five. But I'm close. Um, I'm within striking distance. All right. And your point? Um, Larry King has to have figured out in his, what is he, 105? Um, <laughs> in his 100 years that uh, having wives costs him money. Every time he gets divorced, he gives them you know, a, a mansion and a couple of cars. Right. Um, but... For some reason, he continues to go on, uh, you know, burying young. I assume young. I don't really even know, but I would ass- let, let, let's make an assumption here: young women, six that wives he, that he finds attractive, five divorces, <laughs> right? And um, you know, giving them houses and cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would think that he would have figured it out after wife three or four. You'd think that, um, you know, hey. I've got a pattern here, and if I'm going to stick with this pattern, I better come up with a new system because this pattern's costing me a lot of money. Maybe it doesn't cost enough. Maybe it maybe it's no big deal if you got so much. Maybe they're just drops in the bucket, but maybe. it wouldn't seem that way to me. It seems, seems like a lot to me. It seems like the courts rule in the uh, the wives' favor in many divorce cases, and either way, it still doesn't really feel emotionally fulfilling. Like the whole concept, even if it was just a drop in the bucket, oh, lose a car, lose a house, no big deal. Really, is that all that life is about? Is having someone pretty to have sex with? I don't think that's the case. You know, I to me, there's that's some... like a thirteen. You know, that's a thirteen-year-old's view of the world. Well, um, or a seventeen-year-old. You know, I I can say that I've fought this particular battle with myself. Um, yeah. You know, the difference between having attractive women and having a uh, a life mate. Um, I've got to say that you know I think I've got the perfect wife uh, as far as a match goes. Mm-hmm. I haven't always thought that I wanted to be married. Um, you know. I think there's something beautiful about the idea that you're going to have, you know, that there's somebody that's going to stick with you um, till the end of time, for you at least. Sure. And, uh, you know, be there and share memories with you and and perhaps build a family, those kind of things. I think that there's something beautiful about that. I absolutely that. agree. But bringing that person into your life simply because she's pretty well, is that's, going to do nothing but bring you problems. I would concur that and that I is think, simply not going to work. And I think that this it's good news, essentially, that this... Uh, this news story pointing out that finally relationships are drifting away from this. Finally, people are are dri- are getting together based on um, their needs in life, based on what they actually want to accomplish in life. And I think that that's really good. I think it's really good news.
for the world, if not, if maybe not the world, but uh, the United Kingdom and the United States, perhaps. I think it's good news. I don't think that there's going to be anything that's going to uh, stop the trophy wife phenomenon entirely. Probably not. There I will mean, always, always be horny guys. There, there will, and um, and women willing to take advantage. Of it's going to be some time before the. Uh, Maybe not the gender gap and in, in, um, earnings changes, but you know, men seem to be more driven in the career area than women do. I'm making a really broad generalization here, but if you look at the top CEOs, mostly men. Well, uh, now that's not fair, Mark, because vast majority men. men have been more career-driven over time, and right. that's why more men are in higher upper echelon positions than women. So that's not a fair comparison, but the statistics men do show that... Men don't have babies more, either, and they, it doesn't draw, draw the, that doesn't draw them out of the workplace. It's true. And the statistics do show that more women are becoming more career-minded, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, statistics also show that given their druthers, women would prefer, most women, in America at least, would prefer to stay home and take care of kids. So there's still that other draw away from the working world as well. But either way... I don't think staying home and taking care of kids is not having a job. I think that, that is having a job. Good point. 800-259-9231, but you're not making a paycheck. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number, 800-259-9231. The packet 8... Dot net toll free line. That's one eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. It's Ian here with you and Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features we give them away that we do ask for your voluntary support in the form of becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com and do what over three hundred and twenty of our listeners have done so far, and that is become a Free Talk Live amplifier for as little as three bucks a month. The program's simple. The idea is you send us the three dollars a month, we turn it around into promoting the show, getting on more radio stations around the country, getting on more Internet connections around the world. And it's working. So head over to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about what it's, uh, what the program does, how it works, and the perks that you'll get. Amp.freetalklive.com. So do you have a trophy wife? Are you a trophy wife? Will you admit that to us? And uh, that's what we've been talking about for the past couple segments here on the show. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. Also, just relationships in general. And uh, the right way and the wrong way, in our opinion, my opinion, your opinion, which aren't the same, Mark, uh, the right way and wrong ways to get into and run relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, something we've definitely agreed on so far tonight is that having a trophy wife, bad idea. Real bad. Yep, I I don't see that that's going to be... Uh, I, I don't think that's going to make people happy in general. I don't think that uh, it's going to work out uh, unless you're, you know, so uh, you make so much money and you're such a upper class individual that uh, people not working in your family it doesn't bother you. Yeah, that would really get because to me. I to have just someone just sitting around yeah. eating bonbons all day. I'm not sure that that would be happening. Um, the bonbons necessarily, but uh, you know, with, <laughs> doing something productive, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I mean, some of them would get on. Uh, you know, not-for-profit uh, or boards and that kind of thing and, mm-hmm. and, and do some stuff for the community. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I like the – to me, it's important being from a you know, middle-class upbringing that uh, I could you know, respect my mate as a, you know, as a partner. And I wouldn't be able to respect a mate that didn't have a job of some sort. Now, um, when, there's, when there's a child um, in the mix, I think that uh, for a period of time – it makes sense for the the you know a a a um, individual to stay home. Well, that would be an agreement in advance. Right. I mean, that would be something you would set up and and agree to, and that's understandable. If you're going to have a kid, there's certain things that have to happen, and that's one of those things. 
it's certainly better to do that than to have a nanny or something or an alternative option. In that I, I like the idea of, of, you know, one of the uh, the pair taking care of the child. I think that they care more for it. Um, I won't be very good at that. In my case, it will be my wife. Um, I also like the idea of a one of the pair um, teaching the child, homeschooling the child. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I've put, you know, I've separated the wife from work by somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years unless she gets a, some kind of part-time job or that kind of thing. But nonetheless, in a, being in a relationship where it's a give and take on both sides, where both individuals are benefiting from being with that other person instead of that, instead of one being a constant drain on the other from beginning to end, there, there's a huge difference there. And it's going to go a long, long way towards quality of life, towards being happy and content uh, with what you have. And I just don't even see, I don't even see how the trophy wife could be content with her life. It would seem to me to be uh, just va- completely vapid and empty. Both you and I are really, really driven, yeah. you know, and having work defines us. Um, of course, we don't understand what that would be like. Mm. Absolutely. But I can tell you that I was in a relationship with a girl for a year who her goal, I can tell you her goal was to, um, I was uh, maybe 10, 12, 13 years older than her. I'm not mm-hmm. sure exactly. Her goal was to find a guy who was going to take care of her mm. so she didn't have to work. And and there are guys out there like that. Absolutely um, My girlfriend are. used to work in a, at a restaurant down in Florida, and she would be – She, I mean, she's in her early 20s. She would be propositioned by men in their 50s and older sure. who, who would just come right out and say, hey – why don't you just come home and li- come out and live with me, and I'll take care of you? Yep, you don't have to do anything. Right, just, well, you have to jump yes. the phones. That's, and that, that's about it. Right. So. And uh, so, yeah, you'd go out there, and you'd, uh, you'd jump his bones whenever he wanted you to, and then eventually uh, he'd pass away, and hopefully he'd leave you with something. You'd be like an Anna Nicole Smith at that point. Well, um, if if you're the Not wife, satisfying. If you're the wife, you're going to, in all likelihood, uh, I mean, you know, there's there's state laws to how much you know you get a, you get a certain amount of the the money. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, there's also you get all the joint property. I see. So. So I I would say no to that. She said no to it, of course, because she's an individual who also has a lot of pride in what she does, and she's uh, you know she works hard and she she likes doing what. Mm-hmm. Um, likes working and she, it gives you freedom right. um obviously it, g- it gives one freedom you can you make your own money that you can then make your own decisions and if that exactly. decision um is that i don't want to be in this relationship any longer you're not stuck Great a point. lot of a lot of wives are stuck because they don't have the skills or they don't have the uh the income to go out strike out on their own right S- say they get fed up with their their man or their man's even worse beating them or something like that and they don't feel like they can go anywhere because they're helpless now you've checkmated a uh, particular decision um that most couples you know are looking at for their lives you've you've got, gone ahead and gotten snipped and you don't mm-hmm. think you're going to have kids um, I'm not 100% convinced. I'm not having kids. I, I understand. It's not possible. Well, it's not possible for you to have your own progeny, right. but it is possible for you ado- to adopt if you so choose. And I'm not. Correct. I'm not sure that you're not going to come to a point in your life where that's um, a good idea. You know, where you don't think that's a good idea. Sure, you could get bored. But um, you know, when you bring kids into the mix, it changes things. Um, oh, yeah. Entirely. And that's what so, you're looking I mean, at. Well, doing. currently yeah, it is, and what you're looking at currently is I want a roommate who I can have sex with. Can we talk about your uh, your little baby thing that what do you, you got mean? planned? Your contract? Um, I, my wife and I are putting together a contract uh, right. so that uh, we can, whether or not, you know, so that we can have kids. Just for those of you out there who have had kids before or have them currently, do you think that Mark is going to be successful in his negotiations? Mark is attempting to negotiate a contract. 
that will make it so he doesn't have to change any diapers. Mm. I um I know you don't believe this. You think that you can no, no, actually get so. your that's wife so. to, you, to that's, agree? That's incorrect. You are misinforming the audience. Okay. I don't have a problem with changing diapers. Yeah. I have a problem with changing diapers. At 2 a.m. At 2 a.m. I am, think you can contract out of that. I absolutely and am certain of it. I'm telling you that, that it's not going to work. I'm certain of it. I'm telling you that. I Now, I haven't had kids. I don't know. But I just. I'd you love haven't had my wife people. is what I'm telling I'd you. I'd love to hear from. It's, yeah. Well, you haven't had kids this, with look, your wife yet. Look, this woman um, had a uh, cat. Uh, Tibbet was its name. And she inherited it from someone when it was 13 or 14 years old. The cat was mm-hmm. uh, crippled and, and infirm the whole time she had it. She would get up. Two times an evening. The cat couldn't hold down its food for right. very long. She would get to up two times an evening to heat up in the microwave um, soft, you know, the, the soft cat food, the mm. canned cat food. And then she would prepare it and give it to the cat. I cannot I imagine for a moment doing this. The cat would die if that yeah. if that's was the case. But you know that's that that's. I just her. think you're in for a little surprise. Okay, that's all. And and I'd like to hear from somebody who's uh, been in a, a relationship with children. But they haven't been in a relationship sort of with agreement. my wife. I I understand. But if they had a similar agreement and if it was broken, though I don't know if anybody's ever had that agreement before. I don't know. That's I, unusual. I'm just I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Usually I'm not interested the, in usually that. Usually the agreement is a trade off. Like you go upstairs one night, then she goes upstairs the next night to take care of the kid and mm-hmm. the, it's a trade off. So I don't know if anyone's ever tried to do it your way, and if you have, so I'd love to hear about it. If if you believe that someone could be successful in a trade off every other night, then how do you b- not believe that I could be successful in negotiating this into the contract? I'm willing to have kids if yeah, it's I just, just a negotiation. That's all. I understand. Uh, no, no, you know, and maybe, maybe I'll end up getting up a night or two. Mm-hmm. But I won't. You know, I I wouldn't hold it against her if it was. You know, like what if she's ill? What if she's had the flu? Yeah. something like that. I'm, You'd be I'm getting up. I'm okay, getting up. That's nice of you. But um, you know, <laughs> I'm sincerely hoping for hoping that there's no postpartum um that's involved here and that uh, she's um depressed for months. Isn't there postpartum in many, many cases, like to some extent, not necessarily suicidal murdering kind of postpartum, but to some extent? I can't say I'm entirely well read on the uh, subject of postpartum. Yeah, that's why I question it, Mark, because it's one thing to say in advance what's going to happen with taking care of the kid. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other thing when the chemicals get involved. You know, a whole other thing. Most women do just fine. Yeah, I understand that, but they do go crazier when they, they they do get crazy when they have the the pregnancy thing. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that um you know the ones that I've met have always you know I've I've met from a cursory um, standpoint. I've never ha- lived with um, cohabitated with a, right. a pregnant woman. So what do I know? Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Your relationship tips and advice, experiences, trophy wives. Have you had them? Are you one? Uh, David Rosenblatt, a forty four year old businessman, when asked how it felt to be married to his equal. Or perhaps you're more than equal. He says, fantastic. It brings in a lot of money. It's wonderful. Uh, the businessman from Liverpool, England, and his wife, he runs. he's a businessman. She runs a spa. What's the secret to their marriage success? He says, it's a give and take. He said, we're both busy, and it's important to find time for each other and for the family. In any event, if, as the new study suggests, husbands and wives are getting closer and closer to equality at work and equality in their financial re- uh, responsibilities, could the long-running war of the sexes be nearing a ceasefire? Maybe. Well, you know, that reminds me of a situation I knew with a girlfriend's parents is uh, the husband had a very successful business and the wife had uh, a not nearly successful business. And he basically, his business pumped money into her. Subsidized. But she kept busy and she didn't, um, you know, handled employees. So I'm, I don't know. 800-259-9231 is the packet eight toll free line. You can take control of the airwaves. Hour number two is on the way. This is your show.
It is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free number, 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. That is the Packet8.net toll-free line for you. And starting, uh, well, I guess tomorrow morning, not starting, but tomorrow morning at around 9.30, we're going to be in Concord, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be appearing in a some sort of a House Committee on Criminal Justice and I guess public safety. I think that's the name of the committee. And the reason why is because, well, there's a bill that has been proposed in New Hampshire that will effectively decriminalize marijuana. Now, we're not talking about medical marijuana. We're talking about the real deal. Marijuana, full decriminalization. The bill essentially strikes the word marijuana from all of the anti-drug laws in the state. So where they have lists of what drugs are to be enforced in these under these laws, cocaine right. and opiates and all marijuana that. Marijuana struck. Marijuana gotten rid of. And I think it's I think it's definitely something worth uh, turning out for uh, in support of and that's why we're going to I'm actually going to shave for the first time in months with a razor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you're not going to sh- just use the clippers cuz often when you shave you just use clippers and it's, you know, have gives you an un kept look yeah anyway. i might actually use a razor but what about I, a haircut i yeah i'm just gonna put a hat on or something <laughs> i don't really care that much should be happy i'm shaving anyway the uh drug war rant <laughs> doesn't look like the cretins are out or anything i figured that this would be an appropriate i think i time. might wear a suit i think this would be a pr- an appropriate time uh to since we're going to be talking about marijuana tomorrow and we're likely going to be encountering some vehement opposition in the form of certain representatives, the Police Chiefs Association, because if you paid any attention at all to any of the legalization efforts around the country, Nevada, the most recent one, they always turn out, the police chiefs and the sheriffs, the drugs are, of course, always turns out against any form of decriminalization or legalization of marijuana. Of course they do. One of the most harmless drugs known to man. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why are they doing this? Don't they actually care about keeping people safe? Don't they actually care about keeping money out of the hands of criminals? Apparently not. Apparently they want people to be in danger from the black market. Apparently they want to enrich the criminals uh, by giving them a product to well, deal in and make buku bucks on. It, it enriches the enforcers, too. It does enrich them as well. The police departments wouldn't have all this equipment that they have, uh, you know, tanks and God knows robots for dealing with bombs and all kinds of things that um, rarely, if ever, get used if it wasn't for uh, this war on drugs. Yep, they couldn't take things like asset forfeiture. They couldn't uh, take people's cars and homes if it weren't for the war on drugs. But we're not going to hit the war on drugs too hard here. I just want to talk about marijuana. Mm -hmm. And I just stumbled into this during the news break. It's from DrugWarRant.com, and it's an extensive history of the criminalization of marijuana. Because we've touched on these issues before, like, oh, well, there was there were some racists back in the 30s, and uh, it was textiles, DuPont didn't like it. We've sort of touched on it, but we've never really delved into why it is, why it was that people decided to outlaw this plant. And the gentleman here, um, Pete Guthier at DrugWarRant.com, does a fine job 
of getting into it. He says many people assume that marijuana was made illegal through some sort of uh, some sort of process involving scientific, medical, and government hearings. That it was to protect the citizens from what was determined to be a dangerous drug. And the actual story shows a much different picture. Those who voted on the legal fate of this plant never had the facts, but were dependent on information supplied by those who had a specific agenda to deceive lawmakers. You'll see below that the very first federal vote to prohibit marijuana was based entirely on a documented lie on the floor of the Senate. You'll also see that the history of marijuana's criminalization is filled with racism, fear, protection of corporate profits, yellow journalism, ignorant, incompetent, and or corrupt legislators, personal career advancement, and greed. These are the actual reasons that marijuana is illegal. Since they mentioned yellow journalism, I know that William Randolph's Hearst name will show up in this. It's true. Uh, background. For most of human history, marijuana has been completely legal. It's not, uh, it's not a recently discovered plant, nor is it a long-standing law. Marijuana has been illegal for less than 1% of the time that it's been in use. Its known uses go back as far as, far as 7,000 B.C., and it was legal as recently as when Ronald Reagan was a young boy. The marijuana plant, of course, has an incredible number of uses. The earliest woven, uh, known woven fabric was apparently of hemp. And hmm. over the centuries, the plant was used for food, incense, cloth, rope, and much more. This adds to some of the confusion over its introduction into the, uh, to the United States, as the plant was well known from the early 1600s, but didn't reach public awareness as a recreational drug until the early 1900s. America's first marijuana law was enacted at Jamestown Colony, Virginia, in 1619. That's America's first marijuana law? That's correct. It was a law ordering all farmers to grow Indian hemp seed. Right. You, uh, there were several other must-grow laws over the next 200 years. You could be jailed, for instance, for not growing hemp during times of shortage in Virginia between 1763 and 1767. And during most of that time, hemp was legal tender. That, that is during the Civil War? I have no Virginia? idea. Virginia? Civil War is the 1800s. This oh, is, We're talking about 1700s. Uh, you could even pay your taxes with hemp. Back then, it was legal tender. Hmm. Hemp was such a critical crop for a number of purposes, including essential war requirements like rope, that the government went out of its way to encourage growth. The United States Census of 1850 counted over 8,000 hemp plantations, which is a minimum 2,000-acre farm. It's pretty big. Wow. Growing cannabis hemp for cloth. How do you think they managed to... St- I mean, you know, it's such a weed. How in the world um, have they managed to eradicate it so thoroughly? They haven't. It's the number one cash crop in America. Well, but I mean, it's it doesn't seem to be growing. I don't see it growing wild all over the place. It grows wild. Yeah. It's just you're not traipsing through forests and that sort of thing on a regular basis. I guess I'm not. I try to avoid forests. The United States Census Man, of 1850 counted 8,000 plus hemp plantations, where of course they're using it to make cloth, canvas, and even the cordage used for baling cotton. In the early 1900s, the Western states developed significant tensions regarding the influx of Mexican Americans. The revolution in Mexico in 1910 spilled over the border with General Pershing's army clashing with bandit Pancho Villa. Later in that decade, bad feelings developed between the small farmer and large farms that used cheaper Mexican labor. Then the Depression came and increased tensions as jobs and welfare resources became scarce. One of the differences seized on upon this time was the fact that many Mexicans smoked marijuana and had brought the plant with them. However, the first state law outlawing marijuana did so not because of Mexicans using the drug. Oddly enough, it was because of Mormons using it. Mormons, Mormons who traveled to Mexico in 1910, came back to Salt Lake City with marijuana. The church wasn't pleased. And no, I bet ag- they weren't. The church doesn't like anything. The Mormon church, Mormons aren't allowed to drink caffeine. They ruled against the use of the drug since the state of Utah automatically enshrined church doctrine into law. The first state marijuana prohibition was established in 1915. 
Other states quickly followed suit with marijuana prohibition laws, and then they list them in what years they did it. The laws tend to specifically be targeted against the Mexican-American population. When Montana outlawed marijuana in 1927, the Butte, is it Butte? B-U-T-T-E? Butte. Butte. Butte, Montana Standard reported a legislator's comment, quote, When some beet field peon takes a few traces of this stuff, he thinks he's just been elected president of Mexico and he starts to execute all his political enemies. What? In Texas, a senator said on the floor of the Senate, quote, All Mexicans are crazy, and this stuff, marijuana, is what makes them crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah, these are just the beginning of the outrageously false claims <laughs> wow. that uh, people made about marijuana back in the day. Next segment, jazz and assassins. In the eastern states, the problem was attributed to a combination of Latin Americans and black jazz musicians. Mm. Marijuana and jazz traveled from New Orleans to Chicago, then to Harlem, where marijuana became an indispensable part of the music scene, even entering the language of black hits of the time. Uh, Again, racism was part of the charge against marijuana, as newspapers in 1934 editorialized, quote, marijuana influences Negroes to look at white people in the eye. Step on white men's shadows and look at white women twice. They're not black people weren't supposed to step on white guys' shadows. Apparently not. I really haven't thought about this whole shadow stepping phenomenon. Two other fear tactic rumors started to spread. One that Mexicans, blacks, and other foreigners were snaring white children with marijuana. And two, the story. What would they do with them once they caught them? The I don't know. Molest them. The story of the assassins. Early stories of Marco Polo had told of hashish eaters or hashashin. From which derived the term assassin. Yes. In the original stories, these professional killers were given large doses of hashish, brought to their ruler's garden. Then, after the effects of the drug disappeared, the assassin would fulfill his ruler's wishes with cool, calculating loyalty. By the 1930s, though, the story had changed. Dr. A. E. Fossier wrote in the 1931 Medical and Surgical Journal, quote, Under the influence of hashish, those fanatics would madly rush at their enemies and ruthlessly massacre everyone within their grasp. Hmm. Within a very short time, marijuana started being linked to violent behavior. Yep. And as anyone who's ever smoked a joint knows, that's just not the case. More on the way. The History of Pot. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can bring in whatever you want. Toll free. 800-259-9231 is the packet. 8.net toll free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. And that does include the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. It's like the listener editable version of our website. Head over to wiki.freetalklive.com to see what that's all about. Over 900 pages Created by listeners like you, wiki.freetalklive.com. Do you enjoy building things? Woodcraftplans.com has hundreds of blueprints for things like lawn chairs, rocking horses, yard shadows, fine furniture, and more. Step-by-step instructions and full-size patterns guide all skill levels. Woodcraftplans.com supports FTL. Please support Woodcraft Plans. That's woodcraftplans.com. 1-800-259-9231. We've been talking about the history of marijuana prohibition. I'm going to go to the phones, though, um, because this is extensive. And so I want to make sure we get a chance to get people's calls in here as well. Last hour we were talking about kids and your agreement that you have, or the one that you're working on right now with Mm -hmm. your wife, Mark, about possibly having a kid. And as I understand it, the agreement's going to include some sort of provision where you don't have to get up in the middle of the night to go and take care of the kid. That's correct. And I, I asked for people to call in who actually have kids or who have had kids in the past and uh, comment as to whether or not they believe that this agreement is going to hold. And that's why we're going to Matt in Illinois in the Amplifier Line. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. 
Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Go man. ahead, Matt. What's on your mind? Well, um, you're talking about a contract that says you're not going to get up in the middle of the night and take care of your kid. I've um, had two wives. Two wives, okay. I've had two wives. i got three kids and two stepkids. And you will get up in the middle of the night and take care of them. I won't or will? Sometimes you will. Okay. You will. Sometimes you'll change diapers. Sometimes you'll maybe clean up some throw up. Uh, sometimes you might have to take them to the hospital. Well, I would think um, with the hospital would be an exemption, but okay. When you have kids, it's like, I don't know, every, life just completely changes and things happen that you just never even never even consider what happened. Now, wait a minute. Now, hold on a second. Now, he's saying that he understands that emergencies can happen. The wife gets sick. He understands that he could take care of the kid in that event. But on a daily basis, on a regular basis, he believes that he can contract away his uh, responsibility for taking care of the kid at night. Um, well, you can try. You think she's going to turn the tables on him? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to work. I just just doesn't seem to me like, you know, it might seem like a good idea, even on her. Uh, but after a year or two, that's going to get old for her. Now, um, after a year or two, generally kids sleep through the night after the first few months, right? Uh, depends on the kid. Sounds very bad. It's going to be different, Mark. Yeah, I, you know, there's a four- or five-year-old get up in the middle of the night, come to your room crying because she's had a nightmare. Or a seven-year-old gets an earache all of a sudden. Well, you said you already understood the emergencies and the illnesses and stuff like that. Yeah, that's going to happen. But, you know, some kids have night terrors. Mm. One of my kids had... Pee uh, in the bed. Yeah, one of my kids had colic. He didn't stop crying for three months. Oh, my goodness. God. Wait, that's yeah. a disease where they just keep <laughs> crying? It's it's colic. I, I, it's something to do with... Um, um, can you just put him in a or something? Can you just put him in a soundproof yeah. room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can afford it. <laughs> if you can afford to build yourself a soundproof room, I guess you can. Yeah, they, I have they, one for they, sale. My because yeah. he's in pain. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's right. painful for him, and there's nothing that they can do. That's right. And, you know, all you can do is hold them. Don't they go yeah. hoarse after a while? Like it's like dogs <laughs> that won't stop barking. Why don't you just stop eventually? You must lose your voice no. at some point. Well, maybe. I'm sure there's other people who've had colic babies that, you know, can tell you the same thing. So, so Matt, then you're, you're, agreeing with, you're agreeing with me, then. You're saying that uh, it's going to be fine and dandy for Mark and Laura to write out their contract in advance, but uh, things are going to change. Tables are going to turn after a month or two has gone by. Yeah, and I don't think Mark's even going to mind. I don't, you know, it's not going to be one of those things where he's going to be going, No, I got a contract! <laughs> well, What's it? You know, the problem is, is I have a very difficult time going back to sleep. Once I've gotten up, I'm pretty much up. If that, if I got up at one, um, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep again till four. And I also uh, medicate myself in order to go to sleep in the sense of uh, cigars. Cigar. Yeah, I smoke a cigar before I go to sleep every time. So, you know, basically I have to stay up for a couple hours and then smoke another cigar. It's hard to wake you, too. As soon as he goes, because I've, I've been in hotel rooms with him, not in that way, but uh, I've been in hotel rooms with him, and he smokes a cigar, and then he's out. I mean, you can make noise, and he, he, he doesn't wake up. But I think eventually that baby crying might actually get to you and wake you up. I mean, you might be... That's a, what it's designed for. Right. You might be woken, uh, woken up without even wanting to, and even if Laura goes up and takes care of it, you're still going to be awake because the baby's crying. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and you worry about the, the children, too. I mean, you know, it's, it's not just not just the mom that has a bond with that child. Mm. Um, you're going to have a bond with them and, or her, and, and you're going to worry about him or her. I mean, you know, children are pretty much helpless for the first couple of years. Did you did you hope for a life. certain gender um, gender the first time, and, you know, uh, did, did you get the gender you were hoping for, and how did that go? No, um, I, I was, you know... I guess I don't know. Maybe it's natural that you want a boy, but my first child was a girl, mm-hmm. and I was instantly in love with her. I mean, she was just a sweetheart. She's an adult now, and in fact, uh, I got her a, a book uh, called "The Emperor Wears No Clothes" mm-hmm. uh, for Christmas, all about uh, the authoritative historical record of cannabis and the conspiracy against marijuana <laughs> and how it can save the world. Very good, sir. By, hey, Matt, thank you for Jack the call, Aaron. man. We we really appreciate hearing from you. And that's there's words of wisdom from a man with experience, a man with three kids uh, to his name, two stepkids, I think he said as well. You know, somebody sent me uh, an email today um, just sort of making fun of my... Uh, you know, my sort of metrosexual uh, attitudes on life, and and the fact is, I'd rather have a little girl. I just think they're cute. Hmm. I like, yeah, I, I like to watch them. They're they're so, um, I, I like the things they talk about much more. Right. Little boys, man, they tear things up. Um, I, you know, they. I, I don't you know, know. How are you going to feel when she's uh, when she's in her teenage years and there's other boys around that want to have sex with her? I hear that's the the when yeah. it's um, when. Uh, you know, girls are our biggest problems in their teenage years. But I'm 35 and you're 25, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, I don't have the same feelings I did when I was 25 about the whole idea of some young pimply-faced punk wanting to have sex with my daughter. Um, you know, I know that women have sex, and yeah. I know that women enjoy sex, and I know that if I have a daughter, she's going to have and enjoy sex. That's it's not good. a problem for me. All right, hey, that's a that's a healthy attitude, as far as I'm concerned. As long as you talk to your kids about sex, you're okay in my book. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. It's the parents that don't talk to their kids about sex. Those are the kids that have trouble. I Those agree. are the kids that get STDs. Those are the kids that get pregnant. Let's my go. parents tried, but they were just you know so old-fashioned they didn't really have any Let's talk to Dennis in Missouri. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Dennis. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Good, sir. Hey, um, i got five kids. Oh, God. And... Um, <laughs> um, I love how everyone chuckles at you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think originally it started out that I wouldn't have to get up because she didn't work outside the home. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know that doesn't doesn't last very long. I think it reversed on me. Really? How did she How did she pull it off? If you can hang on, I'd like you to explain when you come back. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. We'll be back with more, Dennis. Hang on, Dennis. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the toll free number. Your tips for Daddy wannabe Mark. That's right. He thinks he can get away with signing an agreement to sign away all of his responsibilities as a father. Everything show prep here. Or at least the ones at night. <laughs> I love how they're just chuckling at you like you have no idea what you're about to get into. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231 is the Packet8.net toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. We've been talking about the history of marijuana prohibition. We'll get back into that, but uh, we've sort of taken a break for a moment to talk about Mark's plans for the future. He's 
getting together with his wife to write up a contract, a baby contract, wherein he believes that he's actually going to be able to, and I'm serious about this, he believes he's actually going to be able to get his wife to agree to not have him get up in the middle of the night to go change a diaper or take care of a crying baby. And we've already had uh, Matt call in from Illinois to say it's just not going to work out the way you think it is. And now we're going back to Dennis in Missouri, who said that initially, Dennis, you say you had a similar agreement because you're the, you were the working man in the house. You had to be up in the morning. You had to be out at a job. You said your wife understood that in advance. When did it change and how did it happen? Oh, I'd say about uh, three days into bringing the first kid home. Wow. Nate <laughs> <laughs> thinks it's great. How, how did it go down? How did the, uh, the change occur? Well, she started... Um, thinking that since she gave birth, I should have to do the next nine months. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty messed up uh, line of thinking. Now, did you actually have an agreement with her beforehand? Yeah, it was kind of verbal. And, um, of course, we didn't do it on paper. Like, was it Mark? Oh, I'm doing it? it on paper. And uh, she, uh, they, they, I can remember my first kid, she wouldn't even change the diaper in the day, and I had to come home and change the diaper. Wow. She really had you for all nine months, huh? That was my first wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, i gotta, I got to cut off here, but I had a couple of questions for you real quick. Yeah, sure. Don't mind. Uh, is it tomorrow that y'all are going to interview, uh, I mean... Um, We're going to a hearing about uh, medical, or hearing? not medical, but uh, legalizing marijuana. Yeah. Right. Do you think there's any way y'all could uh, record that and put it online for us? Uh, I don't know. Um, I am going to have a video camera with me, so we will be shooting some footage. I'm not sure what will become of that footage. Presumably it will be edited into some sort of package, and any sort of video footage coming out of uh, my production team is posted online at freekeen.com. That's freekeen, K-E-E-N-E, dot com. All right, so check out, check there, and that's where, if, if there's anything posted, that's where it'll be. And thanks for the call, Dennis. We appreciate hearing from you uh, with your story. 800-259-9231. More defensive arguments from my side. Um, and if you have to defend yourself as much as I've had to defend myself this evening, chances are good your case isn't very, isn't very good. But um, my wife uh, was a nanny for years, um, years and years. Mm -hmm. And she's pretty clear on what it's going to take to take care of a child. Also, if something comes up in the um, in the middle of the night now, my wife takes care of it, whatever it is. If it's, um, I, you know, for instance, sometimes... If something's making noise outside, she'll go investigate instead of you? I've never... We've, we haven't come across the, invest, the noise investigation yeah. situation. I have heard noises in the middle of the night, and I have gone out to investigate Oh, that's them. good. But, um, <laughs> you know... Honey, the, will you take care of that? <laughs> take, this, take the Mossberg with you, sweetie. <laughs> Um, but you know, if the the only thing I can think of uh, that comes to mind right now is sometimes she wants the fire to continue on. Mm -hmm. We have a wood stove, and she wants the fire to continue on. Well, in so that case, that's something to, she wants. That's that's true. Right. But um, in this case, she's going to want you to go upstairs and take care of the kid. I'm I don't think that's you. so. All right. It'll be interesting to find out what happens. It will, uh, if it happens. Anyway, let's continue the history of marijuana prohibition. From uh, let's see, this is actually from the Drug War Rant. At DrugWarRant.com, Pete Guthier reporting, or Guthier. Anyway, we're talking about how uh, initially, in the, in the beginning days, the politicians used Mexican immigrants as their excuse to, uh, to ban marijuana. They used jazz musicians, you know, black folk, 
as an excuse. So anybody who wasn't white, they uh, they made them look evil mm-hmm. for smoking marijuana. And there's more. There is, of course, alcohol prohibition and the federal approaches to drug prohibition. During this time, the United States is the early uh, 20th century. The United States was dealing with alcohol prohibition as well, which lasted from 1919 to 1933. Now, alcohol prohibition was extremely visible and debated throughout America at all levels, while drug laws were passed without the general public's knowledge. National alcohol prohibition happened through the mechanism of... uh, of And since most Americans didn't use drugs at the time, they didn't really care. Right. It's like... Outlawing, I don't even know what, uh, you well, know, most gas, gas huffing. Yeah. Uh, most, most Americans don't care about gas huffing. National alcohol prohibition happened through the mechanism of an amendment to the Constitution. Earlier, in 1914, the Harrison Act was passed, which provided federal tax penalties for opiates and cocaine. The federal approach is important. It was considered at the time that the federal government did not have the constitutional power to outlaw alcohol or drugs. It is because of this that alcohol prohibition required a constitutional amendment. Mm. At that time in our country's history, the judiciary regularly placed the Tenth Amendment in the path of congressional regulation of local affairs. Remember, the Tenth Amendment says essentially that all powers not delegated by this Constitution are delegated to the or to the feds by the Constitution are given to the states and the people, respectively. Right. That's correct. Um, and so that was actually utilized back then. Back then, they knew the Tenth Amendment existed. Nowadays, it's it's gone. yeah, it, it's meaningless. Uh, anyway, since drugs could not be outlawed at the federal level, the decision was made to use federal taxes as a way around the restriction. In the Harrison Act, legal uses of opiates and cocaine were heavily taxed, and those who didn't follow the law found themselves in trouble with the Treasury Department. Hmm. In 1930, a new division in the Treasury Department was established: the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Hmm. And Harry J. Anslinger was named its director. This, if anything, marked the beginning of the all-out war on marijuana. Anslinger was an extremely ambitious man, and he recognized that the Bureau of Narcotics was an amazing career opportunity, a new government agency with the opportunity to define both the problem and the solution. <laughs> he immediately realized that opiates and cocaine... He defined the problem, all right. Opiates and cocaine, he realized, wouldn't be enough to help build his agency. So he latched on to marijuana and started to work on it, on making it illegal at the federal level. Anslinger immediately drew upon the themes of racism and violence to draw national attention to the problem he wanted to create. Some of his quotes regarding marijuana are as follows. Quote, There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the United States, and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and many others. The primary reason to outlaw marijuana... Speaking of which, before you go any farther with this, I believe that uh, actors generally weren't allowed um, in most churches at the time. That's Hmm. why they had, like, the Actors Church in New York City. Yeah. So entertainers were really looked down upon. They've come a long way, huh? And, um, you know, to some large extent, entertainers uh, were Jewish. So... Mm. The primary reason, word to says Angslinger, to uh, outlaw marijuana is its effect on the degenerate races. Marijuana is an addictive drug which produces in its users insanity, criminality, and death. Of course, all of these are <laughs> right. it's ridiculous. despicable lies. Well, the thing is, is that people know about marijuana now. I don't think you could find anybody that would agree that marijuana um, results in insanity, death, and what was the other? Um, criminality. Third? Criminality. 
I don't know. There are still some ignorant people in America. He goes on some of his quotes. Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. Oh, God. Marijuana leads to pacifism and communist brainwashing. You smoke a joint, and you're likely to kill your brother. Marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. God. This man was uh, a real lowlife, real scumbag. But it wasn't just him that was behind the war on pot. He could have very well believed some of this stuff. It sounds like um, he may fabricated nonsense, but he could very well have believed this unsubstantiated claim. Somebody had claims. to tell him. If he didn't make it up on his own, somebody made it up. Harry Anslinger got some additional help from William Randolph Hearst, who mm. owned a chain of huge, a uh, huge chain of newspapers. Hearst had lots of reasons to help. First, he hated Mexicans. Second, he had invested heavily in the timber industry to support his newspaper chain and didn't want to see the development of hemp paper in competition because hemp is cheaper to grow, grows faster, better for paper, from right. what I'm told. Uh, third, he had lost 800,000 acres of timberland to Pancho Villa, so he hated Mexicans. Fourth, telling lurid lies about Mexicans and the devil marijuana weed causing violence sold newspapers, thereby making him rich. More on the way, 800-259-9231, the history, the despicable, sad history, full of lies, distortions, and half-truths of the marijuana prohibition movement in this country. It's, it's really sick. More's on the way. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. That is the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. We do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff. Free Talk Live stuff at store.freetalklive.com. We've got Free Talk Live t-shirts, Free Talk Live branded hats. We've got the Free Marketeer flag. We've got bumper stickers, which you can learn how you can get one for free if you go to store.freetalklive.com. Lots of great cool stuff, and uh, it's all there for you for the purchasing, and it's very high quality. This is not cheap crap. Store.freetalklive.com. Also, don't forget to do all the rest of your shopping at Amazon.freetalklive.com. Virtually anything you might need in life, you can find at Amazon.freetalklive.com. 35 categories of products shipped directly to your door. No need to get out of the house. Uh, no need to go and stand in lines and battle the crowds. Do it all online. Amazon.freetalklive.com, because when you buy there, Free Talk Live gets a percentage. We're talking about the war on marijuana and how it began. And the people behind this uh, particular effort, two in particular, Harry Anslinger, who was the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, the uh, essentially the first drug cop in America. Mm -hmm. Also, William Randolph Hearst, a major newspaper um, executive, uh, owner, Magnet. owner of a huge chain of newspapers, and he had a lot of reasons to help out with uh, this, this ban on marijuana because he didn't like Mexicans, and he also didn't like the hemp plant period because right. he'd invested in paper. He'd invested in trees, actually, for paper. And so there's uh, d different forces at work here, but they all came together to create a whole bunch of lies about marijuana, which would inevitably be believed by the gullible politicians who either... Well, they wanted to believe them because they are also racist jerks. Well, don't forget like that Anslinger. there's lobbies. Um, lobbyists were behind this, too. Right. Lobbyists for Hearst, you mean? Sure. Right. So um, some examples from the San Francisco Examiner of some of the, the lies that Hearst told. Because we already went through some of the lies that uh, Anslinger uh, made up about marijuana, right. about how it turns you, uh, makes you bloodlust and uh, the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. 
Well, from the San Francisco Examiner, marijuana makes fiends of boys in 30 days. Hashish goads users to bloodlust. By the tons it is coming into this country, the deadly, dreadful poison that racks and tears not only the body, but the very heart and soul of every human being who once becomes a slave to it in any of its cruel and devastating forms. Marijuana is a shortcut to the insane asylum. Smoke marijuana cigarettes for a month, and what was once your brain will be nothing but a storehouse of horrid specters. Hashish makes a murderer who kills for the love of killing out of the mildest-mannered man who ever laughed at the idea that any habit could ever get him. Hmm. That's right. If you smoke a joint, you'll turn into a stark, raving, murdering lunatic. Well, you know, people know the truth now that marijuana is probably the um, the, the least violent drug out I there. I think people in our generation, I think a lot of them know it, but I think there's still some people out there that have been totally shut off and uh, they don't understand. I don't know if I... I don't know. It, it's hard for me to imagine that's so. I don't think they believe that it's going to turn you into a stark, raving lunatic, but they still think it's bad. But, I mean, you know, these are... This is a time before there was... There wasn't even uh, antibacterial stuff out there. I mean, this mm-hmm. is before television. This was a long time ago yes, that they were managing to, uh, uh, you know, spread these lies. And I guess I, I, people were just naive, so they believed it. Here's some more Why of not? claims. Hashish... Hashashans, you know, I mean, it well, made sense. The, the, the black people use it. That must mean it's bad. Well, that wouldn't convince me, but I think that you could convince me with the hashish hassassin mm. um, argument. Well, you know, there's there's these guys that used to be called hassassins, and they would uh, imbibe hashish before they did it. I mean, and, you know, if I didn't know anything, if I was just a hayseed country guy, didn't know anything about it, I might believe that right, part. Right, and it's coming from officials. It's coming from the authorities. It must be true. Users of marijuana, more quotes from Hearst's uh, other nationwide columns that he published. Users of marijuana become stimulated as they inhale the drug and are likely to do anything. Of course, marijuana is not a stimulant at all. It's a mild psychedelic. Most crimes of violence in this section, especially in country districts, are laid to users of that drug. Hmm. Was it marijuana? The new Mexican drug that nerved the murderous arm of Clara Phillips when she hammered out her victim's life in Los Angeles? Three-fourths of the crimes of violence in this country today are committed <laughs> by dope slaves. Dope that slaves. is a matter of cold record. Hearst and Anslinger were wow. then supported by DuPont Chemical Company and various pharmaceutical companies in the effort to outlaw cannabis. DuPont, see, had patented nylon and wanted hemp removed as competition. Mm. The pharmaceutical companies could neither identify nor standardize cannabis dosages, and besides, with cannabis, folks could grow their own medicine and not have it to purchase from large companies. Right. This all set the stage for the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. After two years of secret planning, Anslinger brought his plan to Congress, complete with a scrapbook full of sensational Hearst editorials, so using Hearst's own publications to back up the claims he was going to make to Congress. Right. Stories of axe murderers who had supposedly smoked marijuana and racial slurs. It was a a remarkably short set of hearings. The one fly in his ointment was the appearance by Dr. William C. Woodward, Legislative Counsel of the American Medical Association. Woodward started by slamming Anslinger in the Bureau of Narcotics for distorting earlier AMA statements that had nothing to do with marijuana and making them appear to be an AMA endorsement for Anslinger's view. He also reproached the legislature and the Bureau for using the term marijuana in the legislation and not publicizing it as a bill about cannabis or hemp. At this point, marijuana was a sensationalist word used to refer to Mexicans smoking a drug and he had not been and had not been connected in most people's heads to the existing cannabis and hemp plant. I see. Thus, many who had legitimate reasons to oppose the bill weren't even aware of its existence. Woodward went on to state 
that the AMA was opposed to the legislation and further questioned the reproach of the approach of the hearings, coming close to outright accusation of misconduct by Anslinger and the committee. Committee chairman uh, members then proceeded to attack Dr. Woodward, questioning his motives in opposing the legislation. Even the chairman joined in. And after uh, some further bantering, the chairman, I'm skipping some of these quotes here because they're extensive. The, cha- the chairman, I would like to read a quotation from a recent editorial in the Washington Times. The marijuana cigarette is one of the most insidious of all forms of dope, largely because of the failure of the public to understand its fatal qualities. The nation is almost defenseless against it, having no federal laws to cope with it and virtually no organized campaign for combating it. The result is tragic. School children are the prey. What's tragic is the organized campaign campaign for for combating it. Yeah, I mean that's what's really caused all the tragedy. School children are the prey of peddlers who infest school neighborhoods. High school boys and girls buy the destructive weed without knowledge of its capacity of harm, and conscienceless dealers sell it with impunity. This is a national problem, and it must have national attention. The fatal marijuana cigarette must be recognized as a deadly drug, and American children must be protected against it. Now, that's a pretty severe indictment. They say it's a national question and that it requires effective legislation. Of course, in a general way, you have responded to all of these statements, but that indicates very clearly that it is an evil of such magnitude that is recognized by the press of the country as such. That was the chairman speaking there. And that was basically it, according to the article. Yellow journalism won over medical science. Hmm. The committee passed the legislation on, and on the floor of the House, the entire discussion was as follows. Member from upstate New York. Mr. Speaker, what is this bill about? Speaker Rayburn. I don't know. It has something to do with a thing called marijuana. I think it's a narcotic of some kind. Mr. Speaker, does the American Medical Association support this bill? Member on the committee jumps up and says, the committee that forwarded the bill on, jumps up and says, their Dr. Wentworth, which wasn't the doctor's name at all, their Dr. Wentworth came down here. They support this bill 100%. And on the basis of that lie, on August 2nd, my birthday, 1937, marijuana became illegal at the federal level. Man, that's the discussion on the floor. Yep. It just goes to they show... They weren't even reading the bills back then, Mark. No, they're not going to read the bills. They don't have to. Why would they do something they don't have to do? The entire coverage in the New York Times was as follows. Quote, President Roosevelt today signed a bill to curb traffic in the narcotic marijuana through heavy taxes on transactions. That was it. Hmm. No fanfare. Nobody even really knew what had happened. But then the drug war continued. And expanded. And we will spend a little bit more time on this. 800-259-9231. Because it's fascinating. The history of the mar- of marijuana prohibition. But let's go to the phones and talk to Greg in Ohio. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Good, Greg. Hey. What's on your mind? Uh, not much. I was going to see. I called you guys a while back to see if you guys got my uh, YouTube uh, files on Congressman Tim Ryan. Yeah, are you, you his pimp? Check it out. Are, you, are you Tim Ryan's pimp? No. Like, that's all you, you call about, it. Greg. You, you, well, you send the email. It's important to him. We, we got the email, and I'll get to it when I get a chance. If you sent it, it's it's waiting there in my email box. Yeah, I was going to see if you guys checked it out. I'm seeing there's actually a congressman up there fighting for like. I actually haven't had a chance to check it out yet, and I'm actually going to put it off every time you call and ask about it, Greg, at this oh, point. Oh, that sucks. Um, it, but I, I will get to it eventually, but if you keep beating me over the head about it, I, I want to li- watch it less and less. And I'll tell you this, that somebody else else emailed about this guy and posted a link to some of the legislation that he supports, and he's got all kinds of big government legislation that he's behind. So yeah. I question your uh, your assertion that this guy is pro-freedom at all. 
I, I thought he was. He seems like a good guy. I've met him a couple times. And, well, and yeah, when you meet politicians in person, they're really good at coming off like they're nice, good guys. It's when they get oh, at the yeah. reins of power that things begin to change. I promise you, we'll get to it, Greg. Thanks, Thanks for the call. Buddy. 800-259-9231. You keep pushing me, I'll just keep putting it off. I, you know, we, you and I saw that uh, senator from Delaware. What was his name, Joe Biden? Yeah. Um, we saw him give a speech, and, you know, I like Joe a little more than I used to. But I didn't like him at all. But it doesn't change the fact that he's just a big government politician. Low-life scum. Hour three's on the way. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And join us on our website at freetalklive.com. On our site, you'll find all kinds of features, and they're all completely free. Unlike those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for accessing their sites. We give it away. freetalklive.com. Talking about nonviolent so-called crimes or consensual crimes like smoking marijuana. Uh, in fact, last hour, we spent quite a bit of time going through the history of marijuana prohibition, the sordid, sick, History uh, involving politicians, ignorance, Henry Anslinger, this guy who's in charge of the uh, essentially the first drug cop in the United States, uh, William Randolph Hearst, newspaper magnate, and it's just a despicable history full of lies, propaganda, half-truths, and just racism and anti-competitive uh, business practices as well. Then there's a little bit more to the story, but coming up, Mark, I know you've got a story about somebody who's been charged with this whole online gambling mm-hmm. situation. So continuing with the consensual crimes theme, we'll get to that here in moments. But let's continue with uh, Henry Anslinger as a precursor to the drug czar. This uh, story, by the way, coming to you from Salon.com, also the Drug War Rant, DrugWarRant.com. Anslinger, Henry Anslinger, was essentially the nation's first drug czar even though the term didn't exist, or the United States first drugs are, and even though the term didn't exist until William Bennett's position as director of the, uh, the White House Office of National Drug Policy, Anslinger acted in a similar fashion. They couldn't, couldn't very well use a term like drug czar back in the early 1900s when there still was a czar. I don't know if the time yeah. frame's exactly right, but... In, in Russia. There had been in everyone's recent memory. Oh, by the way, William Bennett, we actually got to see that guy speak last year. Mm-hmm, we did. We were at a talk radio convention. Oh, he is just a scummy dude, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, he was boring, and uh, he got on stage. And this is a this is a, a a radio convention, a talk radio convention where uh, talk show hosts and program providers and the people behind the scenes in the business get together, all in the same place, and they talk about the business. Well, they had this guy opening the breakfast. Brunch. Because um, the company, was it uh, Salem. Salem, that uh, carries him as their morning show, right. um, they sponsored this particular, you know, sponsored heavily in this event, so therefore they got to add the speakers They got to the pimp morning. out their newest show, which is Bill Bennett. So, he got, and, so what he did is he essentially talked about politics the whole time. Yeah, that's all he did. He got up on stage at an, at an event where everyone wants to talk about the business. And I was and, offended. And talked about his political views. Then again, I'm easily offended. So I was know. bored and offended. Uh, by this guy, and it's dis- it's disgusting that a talentless hack like him 
can be on 160-something radio stations in this country. Well, he has name recognition. That's all it takes. It doesn't take much, apparently, in radio. Well, Just be a know, former drug czar, and you can have your own radio show. We're going to work our way up, and we're going to have 160 right. stations. We will. In fact, there are some amazing parallels between Henry Anslinger and the current drug czar, John Walters. Both had a kind of carte blanche to go around dem- uh, demonizing drugs and drug users. Both had resources and a large public podium for the voice to be heard and promote their personal agenda. Both lied constantly, often when it was unnecessary. Both were racists. Both had the ear of lawmakers, and both realized that they could persuade legislators and others based on lies, particularly if they could co-opt the media into squelching or downplaying any opposition views. Anslinger even had the ability to circumvent the First Amendment. He actually banned the Canadian movie Drug Addict, a 1946 documentary that realistically depicted the drug addicts and law enforcement efforts. Hmm. He even tried to get Canada to ban the movie in their own country, or failing that, to prevent U.S. citizens from even seeing the movie in Canada. Are you kidding? Nope. And Canada refused, thankfully. Today, drug czar John Walters is trying to bully Canada into keeping its harsh marijuana laws. Anslinger had 37 years to solidify the propaganda and stifle opposition. The lies continued the entire time, although the stories would adjust. The 21-year-old Florida boy who killed his family of five got younger each time he told the story. In 1961, Anslinger looked back at his efforts and said, quote, Much of the most irrational juvenile violence, and that has... Uh, and that has written a new chapter of shame and tragedy is traceable directly to this hemp intoxication. A gang of boys tear the clothes from two schoolgirls and rape the screaming girls, one boy after the other. A 16-year-old kills his entire family of five in Florida. <laughs> a man in Minnesota puts, the bullet, uh, puts a bullet through the head of a stranger on the road. In Colorado, a husband tries to shoot his wife, kills her grandmother instead, then kills himself. Every one of these crimes had been preceded by the smoking of one or more marijuana reefers. Hmm. As the marijuana situation grew worse, I knew action had to be taken to get the proper legislation passed. By 1937, under my direction, the Bureau launched two important steps. First, a legislative plan to seek from Congress a new law that would place marijuana and its distribution directly under federal control. Second, on radio and at major forums such that presented annually by the New York Herald Tribune, I told the story of this evil weed of the fields and riverbeds and roadsides. I wrote articles for magazines. Our agents gave hundreds of lectures to parents, educators, social and civic leaders. In network broadcasts, I reported on the growing list of crimes, including murder and rape. I described the nature of marijuana and its close kinship to hashish. I continued to hammer at the facts. I believe we did a thorough job, for the public was alerted, and the laws to protect them were passed, both nationally and at the state level. And yes, they've done such a great job at protecting us from marijuana, haven't they? Yeah, God knows uh, the use of marijuana hasn't spread since uh, he gave these speeches no. and they outlawed that Stop stuff. down! There's nobody using pot anymore in America. Thanks, Henry. We also brought under control, says Anslinger, the wild growing marijuana in this country. Working with local authorities, we cleaned up hundreds of acres of marijuana and uprooted plants sprouting along the roadsides. On a break from college in the 1970s... God knows that wasn't a waste of time. Uh, this back, uh, back to the uh, article's author. I was visiting a church in rural Illinois. There's in the liter- there in the literature racks in the back of the church was a lurid pamphlet about the evils of marijuana. Yeah, all the old reefer madness propaganda about how it caused insanity and murder. I approached the minister and said, you can't have this in your church. It's all lies, and the church shouldn't be about promoting lies. 
Fortunately, my dad believed me and he had the material removed. He didn't even know how it got there. But without me speaking up, neither he nor the other members of the church had any reason not to believe what the pamphlet said. The propaganda machine had really been that effective. The story since then has been a continual litany of politicians wanting to appear tough on crime and passing tougher and tougher penalties, consistent increases in spending on law enforcement and prisons, because the more people they put in, the more, mud, uh, the more money they get in the budget next year. It just creates a bigger and bigger program. Racist application of drug laws, taxpayer-funded propaganda in the form of the uh, anti-drug commercials you mm-hmm. see on television these days, stifling of opposition speech, political contributions from corporations that profit from marijuana being illegal. In fact, that's an interesting little uh, point, and that is that Partnership for Drug-Free America, mm-hmm. you know who's behind it, right? Um, I would imagine the major broadcasters. Uh, pharmaceuticals, alcohol, and those types. I see. Those are the ones behind those commercials. Well, they do, they do stand to benefit from uh, you know marijuana remaining illegal, but think about the advertisers for a minute. Um, the ONDCP has to pay going rate for those ads, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of those ads out there. Um, I don't know about you, but I'd love to be able to name my rate, and I know you wouldn't allow any ONDCP ads on our air, and uh, I would agree with you on principle, yeah. but I sure would like to charge them $300 a spot. A spot. Yeah. yeah. Well, we could do it, but then we just surround it with uh, competing spots. Maybe we'd run an ONDCP. See, even you could be bought for 300 bucks. For 300 bucks a spot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Could we make fun of it on the way back in? That, yeah, I think so, yeah. That's <laughs> what we'd have to do. <laughs> All right, so there you go, the history, the sordid history of marijuana prohibition right here in the United States. And as you might imagine, the history of other drugs, LSD, ecstasy, other drugs have also been affected by similar lies and demonization and just distortions on the part of the politicians who are pushing this agenda and whoever the interest groups are that are pushing for these drugs to be outlawed. And after the, the war on marijuana was created, the interest groups are primarily the government itself because they want to expand their power. The DEA, which is the new version of the Bureau of uh, Narcotics from back in the day, mm-hmm. the DEA wants to in- expand its sphere of influence over as many drugs as it possibly can. That's why they're pushing for salvia to be made illegal. Um, that's why they would like to see other new designer drugs um, being added to the list. That's not because they want to keep kids safe. It's because they want to hire new bureaucrats. Expand the program. Have more asset forfeiture where they can take your house and your car and all those sorts of things. Oh, I think they convince themselves that they're doing the right thing in the process. I mean, possibly. Humans are able to do that. Well, they're doing the wrong thing. They're hurting people and they're destroying the economy and enriching criminals. And it needs to end. Anyway, we're going to testify in favor of decriminalizing marijuana tomorrow morning. We'll bring you that story and more. Also on the way, gambling. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. And that does include the archives. An entire year's worth of the show right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Is it privacy? Well, register now for the February of 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers to include anti-real ID activist Jim Harper from the Cato Institute. Also in attendance will be New Hampshire residents and legislators active in the fight against the National Real ID. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. So we've been talking about things uh, that are consensual crimes, like smoking pot. And now we're going to move into gambling. 
because there has been a crackdown recently within the last year. We brought you two stories, I think, in 2006 about various different gambling uh, online casino executives who were arrested when they entered the United States. Arrested on charges of, I don't know, operating an online casino or something like that. And then towards the end of 2006, they also passed a law at the federal level after Washington State had passed its own law. They passed a federal level law outlawing Americans from playing online poker or any sort of online gambling. And they asked the banks, they asked the banks and the financial institutions of the United States to be the enforcers of the law. In that, if, for instance, Mark, you wanted to go and play some online poker... Well, they didn't ask. They told them that you will be the enforcers. Thank you. Um, if you wanted to go and play online poker, and you went to whatever, .com, Golden Palace, or whatever they are, right? and you, uh, you know, it asked you for a credit card number, if you were to put in an American credit card number, the American credit card company is supposed to know... Because when you do a credit card transaction, there's information that ch- that changes hands. Right. Each bank says, hi, I'm a bank, and okay, you can take money from here, and we'll send it over there. Well, they essentially were to say, okay, well, if this bank, if the, processor, uh, the processors of the transaction shows up on this banned list, essentially, the list of people who uh, are running these gambling websites, if they mm-hmm. show up on this banned list, you are not to process those transactions. Right, so they, you know, they may very well allow them to gamble, but you know, they're not going to get paid if they lose. Right, you you can't. I mean, you 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 got to right. put money into the pot before they're going to even allow you to pay. So now, United States people are tra- individuals are having to go through circuitous routes in order to actually get on these and websites and and gamble. And of course, they're going to do it. But now there's some more breaking news in this whole gambling crackdown. Well, it's uh, one of these companies that uh, processes internet gambling transactions. Um, they've arrested some founders of these companies. Uh, two founders from the AP. Two founders of a company which processes Internet gambling transactions were arrested and charged with laundering billions of dollars in gambling proceeds. Hmm. Federal prosecutors announced on Tuesday. Um, I thought it was I thought the story was from uh, yesterday, but apparently um, they're saying it happened today. The charges against the former net teller PLC directors John David Lefebvre, 55, and uh, Stephen Eric Lawrence, 46, both Canadian citizens. Wait, former? What's that? You said they're the former directors? I'm sorry, the former NetTeller PL, um, PLC directors. Hmm. Okay, because NetTeller, well, this is interesting. I'll let you go on, and we'll talk about NetTeller. Okay. Go on. All I know is what the AP says here. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just reading a story that I really don't have much uh, background on besides um, this. We're contained in two cr- criminal complaints unsealed in the U.S. District Court in Manhattan on Monday. U.S. District Attorney Michael Garcia said in a statement the prosecutors said the men, when they um, took their company public, that... All its activities were illegal. Uh, They knew that that, that this was the case. Um, Blatant violations of U.S. law are not a mere risk to be disclosed to prospective investors, Garcia said. Criminal prosecutions related related to online gambling will be pursued even in cases where assets and defendants are positioned outside of the United States. Hmm. They're saying that we're going to go after these guys and we don't care where they are. Where were they arrested? In the U.S.? I missed that part. I believe that they were in the U.S. Okay. Um, FBI Assistant Director Mark L. Marison said the multi-billion dollar online gambling industry was a colossal criminal enterprise masquerading as legitimate business. You've got to be kidding me. Yep. 
I, I love the quotes in this. Somehow they're criminals because they're on the Internet, and yet the gambling casinos in Las Vegas, no, no criminals. They're there. criminals because they said that it was a, a crime. Is what they're criminals what because the, the ex- existing gambling uh, monopolies in this country, right. the governments and the uh, those in Vegas, would like to uh, make ensure that they stay criminalized. Yep. Um, Lefebvre and Lawrence were charged in connection with the creation and operation of an Internet payment services company that facilitated Excuse me. They facilitated the transfer of billions of dollars of illegal gambling proceeds from U.S. citizens to the owners of overseas Internet gambling companies. Lefebvre Brave was arrested Monday in Malibu, California, was scheduled to appear in U.S. Wow, wow, slow down. Let me explain what's happened now, Okay. as I understand it. They've just arrested uh, two of the major players in NetTeller. Mm-hmm. NetTeller, it's, uh, there's not two T's, it's N-E-T-E-L-L-E-R dot com. That's correct. We've actually talked about NetTeller in the past. As uh, some of our listeners, for instance, we talk about the AMP program where you can go and send $3 a month to Free Talk Live to support the show. Mm -hmm. Well, that's through PayPal. And as you know, PayPal is the world's, probably the world's leader in Internet money transactions. NetTeller is one of PayPal's uh, competitors. Mm. NetTeller is uh, the claim to be the fastest way to pay and be paid online. Open a free NetTeller account. You can send money to friends and online merchants in five minutes. So they're definitely competing with PayPal. And it seems like what's going on here, according to what the article just said, they arrested these guys because NetTeller was the transaction uh, service they used that was the intermediary Mm -hmm. between U.S. citizens and the gambling companies. Because they simply processed transactions. That's what these guys were arrested for. Correct. Because they processed Laundering transactions. billions of dollars. That's, that's so outrageous that they're making these claims. And I wonder if PayPal has anything to do with this. It could very well. Um, Go on. You know, eBay is a huge player in online. eBay owns PayPal. Yes, yes you're they right. Do. Lawrence, who presides in Paradise Island, Bahamas, was arrested Monday in the U.S. Virgin Islands and will be, appear in federal court on Wednesday. Mm. In 1999, the men founded NetTeller, which is based in the Isle of Man, which is a publicly traded, um, which is publicly traded in the United, United Kingdom. That's right. The company began processing internet gambling tra- transactions in approximately July 2000, allowing companies to transfer money from U.S. customers to bank, bank accounts overseas. Prosecutors cited NetTeller's 2005 annual report saying that Lawrence and Lefebvre enabled the company to provide payment services to more than 80% of worldwide gambling merchants. Great. Yeah. People want to gamble. Right. And these people uh, they're made it They're acting like, it's, it, it, like it wasn't legal a year ago. Right. It was. I know, but they're acting like it wasn't. Like, this is, like, this is a scourge on man. Right. Lawrence left Well, they co- should have known all along they were enriching the criminals, Mark. Mm-hmm. Because anybody who sets up an online poker website is a criminal mastermind. Even if it wasn't illegal. Um, Lawrence left the company's board of directors in October. Even if it wasn't illegal and even if it was vetted by third-party gambling accuracy providers, which many gambling websites are. I would imagine they do. Their programming is checked. Their programming is vetted to make sure that uh, it's not a scam. Sure. I wouldn't gamble on a site that I didn't feel feel was fair. Anyway, um, let's see. Lawrence left the company in a... Company's board of directors in October, while Lefebvre left in December 2005. Prosecutors said together the men owned as much as 35% of the company's outstanding shares. Garcia noted the company acknowledged um, when it went public that U.S. law prohibited people from promoting certain forms of gambling, including internet gambling and transmitting funds that are known to have been derived from criminal activity. So it sounds like they're trying to 
essentially help the U.S. people enforce their current laws? We'll come back with more on this. It is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give away all the features there, including the Shrine of Female Listeners, with the dozens and dozens of ladies who have taken the time to send us their validated photo to prove that they listen to the show. See what I mean by heading over to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. What do, the, what do Adam Smith, Karl Marx, and John Maynard Keyes have in common? Whether the subject of laissez-faire books, January Lysander Spooner Award winner, and it's, uh, it's a new book by uh, Mark Skousen. He turns his eye on the three most prominent figures in economics. Check out The Big Three in Economics and other books and videos on liberty at lfb.com. Laissez-faire books, lfb.com. Our number is 800-259-9231. We're talking about a story in, of international importance. It involves two former executives uh, from NetTeller. NetTeller is a competitor to PayPal. Now, I don't have a problem, per se, with PayPal. I use their services all the time. They're, they're, they're our primary provider of AMP funds. The, the AMP program wouldn't happen if it weren't for PayPal. I would like to see more competitors. I would like to see more people offering the same services that PayPal does, so PayPal lowers their rates and becomes more... Uh, more of a friendly company. Initially, actually, PayPal was founded by a libertarian. The guy who created PayPal mm-hmm. was a self-avowed libertarian. He, of course, ended up selling his company after the federal government uh, cracked uh, cracked down on him and uh, attempted to impose regulations on him. He threw up his hands and essentially sold the company to eBay. So it, it's not run the same way it originally was. But nonetheless, uh, there are a lot of people that are are angry with PayPal and how they do business, and there are certainly some questionable things that they do. Thankfully, I haven't encountered any of them yet, but uh, a number of people have, and so other competitors have started springing up. Google has gotten into the game. They're now doing Google, uh, Google, uh, Google Checkout, is what it's called. But Google Checkout, at this point, is only for certain approved merchants, and you can't use it um, for... For recurring payments like we do with with our AMP program, so I'm still sort of looking for other alternatives. NetTeller is a another popular international transaction uh, provider or transaction processor uh, on the on the internet, and that's what this story is about. Two of their executives arrested by the United States government and being brought up on charges. What are the charges? Does the article mention that, Mark? Um, the story? No, it was laundering. I guess is what money they, laundering. Yeah, they pretty much. Uh, accuse these guys of um which is absurd because all they were doing was providing credit card processing for gambling websites and it, that's just probably a one you know one chunk of the the total business volume that they do their their total business is to just pay and be paid uh, to to process payments mm-hmm. so some people use them for processing their uh, credit card payments for the gambling websites but as a result federal authorities have now picked them up yeah, these are uh, former board members of um, NetTeller. Uh, Lefebvre and uh, Lawrence have also conceded, the, um, conceded in the company's offering documents that they were risking prosecution by the U.S. government, he said. 
prosecutors said Net Teller mm-hmm. in um, 2005 alone processed more than $7.3 billion in financial tra- transactions, 95% of which was derived from money transfers involving Internet gambling. Um, Lawrence and Lefebvre both charged with conspiring to transfer funds with the Internet to promote illegal gambling could face a maximum of 20 years in prison Jeez. if convicted. That's crazy. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah, the story? pretty much. Um, there's you know, another article that basically says that John Lefebvre was a uh, great th- philanthropist and um, principled enough to fight um, this with um, with his uh, you know fight out against this. So, so he is going to not going to plea out. They don't know. Uh, I mean, at this point, but it's just an article that says so. So essentially, they arrested these two guys because they happened to cross into the U.S. Virgin Islands. Or was wasn't that one, one was in the Virgin Islands, one was in Malibu, California. Okay, so as soon if you are involved in uh, online gambling in any way, even if you're just the transaction processor, don't set foot in the United States because they're looking for you. Yeah, and they are going to arrest you and throw you in a cold jail cell because you did someone the service of providing a credit card process. This is so nuts, Mark. What this country is doing. It's sad. It's very anti-freedom. What very anti-free market. Is how they talk about these guys being, you know, these are these guys are terrible criminals. As though they didn't just outlaw internet gambling last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, please, it, you're acting like people weren't doing this 12 months ago. And they they are, they were. So, I, I just don't, I just don't know um, why, how it is and how people can believe it. I mean, are their memories that short? People can believe that they're criminals? Yeah. I don't know if people believe it. I don't even know if people are paying attention to this. I mean, this isn't probably front-page news. Yeah, you didn't know about it. then. Someone brought it to your attention, I presume. That's correct. Because that's how you get all your prep. You don't actually go and do any prepping. I don't have to. I know. Listeners send me (laughs) all kinds of great articles. Um, And so (laughs) somebody stumbled across the story and said, hey, Mark and Ian would be interested in this. And we are. But this didn't make front page. This didn't splash across the uh, the headlines at abcnews.com mm-hmm. tonight. I mean, this is no but this is no one news. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody even knows who Net Teller is. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's unfortunate, and uh, and this is going to continue because the the online gambling crackdown has only just begun, just as the online uh, obscenity crackdown has only just begun as well. We talked about a story out of Tennessee earlier tonight. Where they are, they're looking at passing a law that's going to ban Girls Gone Wild commercials from mm-hmm. television, and that's just one arm of this whole insa- obscenity insanity that we have in this country, where the federal government in 2005 and 2006 had started bringing lawsuits against porn producers, because why? Well, because they were raping people in their porn uh, pornos? No, because it was snuff films? No, because they made porn. And somebody in federal in the federal government is on a crusade to put a stop to it. You know, they just they produce a product that somebody wants to buy. Lots of people want to buy, and um, somehow or another, the uh, the government thinks that they can step in between that and uh, prevent it from happening. And, and they're, they're not going to prevent it. They're only going to drive the price up. Right. They're going to make it and more get difficult. people hurt in the process. The same thing with the porn, and the same thing with gambling. Because porn's not going away. If you outlaw porn, it's just going underground, and then you are going to see people get raped. And then you are going to see yeah. people get murdered in the porn. You are. Because there's not going to be any traceable way to find the producers at that point. You're going to see porn become more violent, more degrading. And you're going to, in the same way with the gambling, gambling going to become more dangerous. Because the online gambling addicts, the ones that are supposedly the ones that the, uh, the people that the politicians are supposedly looking to help. Right. They're the ones that aren't going to stop 
Yeah, you might make it inconvenient for the occasional dabbler, the occasional, you know, husband or wife that decides to sit down and spend 15 bucks at some online blackjack. And they may, you know, decide rather than uh, face the wrath of the law that it might just be easier to uh, get their tickets to the, you know, Sun Cruise or whatever, uh, you know, cruise company. Or just forget about it. Watch some poker on TV. Or get together with their friends and play some penny poker. Do yeah. some real life gambling. So- sounds realistic. Or real g- poker. Well, they're going to gamble in all likelihood. They're just going right. to you know change their patterns. But the point is the the real gamblers, the ones that are into it. Oh yeah. They aren't going to stop for some silly little federal law. Just like pot smokers don't stop smoking pot, and other drug users don't stop using drugs because there's laws against it. They'll just go around the laws, and they go to the black market, and that's what you're going to see here. You're going to see more websites popping up. That are going to uh, make it easier for people to uh, to gamble on their sites, but at the same time, they're also going to be more questionable. They're also going to be more dangerous, and that's not good because then people's credit cards are going to be put in financial jeopardy, and then they're going to complain about it when something happens when they get scammed right. uh, online. They're going to cl- complain. They're going to call their congressman. I was gambling, and that's going to make gambling that much more dangerous in people's minds. Right, and gonna, as though it was the gambling um, companies that caused this, and not the government. Yep. And so the government authorities are going to point it out and say, "Look, what we've been trying to prevent. We've these, been telling you people. These criminals have been trying to take your money for years on the internet, and you continue to go and, and patronize their businesses. Gambling and- online causes crime." Mm. Yeah, they just say that crap, and it you know, people believe it. How long are we? How far off are we before we've got anti-gambling commercials on television? We've already got the anti-drug commercials. Whatever you do, don't click on the gambling links. Whatever you do, don't give them your credit card information, or you might mortgage your house in order to purchase your next round of chips. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know how the sensationalism would go. I don't know what sort of lies they would inject into the But there the, would uh, be sensationalism arguments. and there would be lies. Yep. 800-259-9231. And there's definitely less freedom now than there was last year. And you can expect more of the same to continue. More on the way. This is your show, Zero Tolerance. Coming up, it's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Your show, only moments remain, though. Still enough time for your call if you make it now. At 800-259-9231, that's 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. We give away all the features that you'll find there that we do ask that you support the show voluntarily by voting for us. Head over to vote.freetalklive.com. Takes you just a minute. All you need is an email address, and it makes a big difference for us when you vote for the show because your votes total up to keep us in the top ten podcasts of the world, which is where we currently are. And us being in the top ten podcasts helps bring new listeners to the program. Meaning new internet uh, listeners will find the message of freedom and uh, liberty, and that's important. So head over to vote.freetalklive.com and get registered now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th. Meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. Freestateproject.org slash libertyforum to get more information. And to get registered, freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Well, it's been a little while, Mark, since we've had a bad... Or good, whichever way you want to look at it. Good as in entertaining, bad as in, well, your rights are being flushed down the drain. Zero tolerance story, and I've got two of them. Mm. This one from the AP, Portsmouth. 17-year-old Patrick Egan often spends a week whittling a single arrow. And he's learning to make chainmail armor by hand, which is a time-consuming task. I, I used to have I, a roommate who did that. Yeah, I mean, you've got to crimp each little... Uh, each circle. Circle yeah. into several other circles. 
I don't know. And then turn it into something. Uh, anyway, so when it came time to submit a senior yearbook photo, he selected a snapshot of himself wearing chainmail and slinging a prop sword over his shoulder. Portsmouth High School rejected the photo, citing a zero-tolerance policy for weapons. Now, again, he didn't actually have the sword at school. It was just a photo of him. Really? And Agan and his family sued, claiming the school was violating his right to free speech. But Agan uh, and others who spend their free time sword fighting and feasting on medieval-style meals also <laughs> wonder why the school would discourage his passion for a hobby that they say offer tens of thousands of people a way to learn about history through hands-on experience. It's no different than wanting to appear in a Boy Scout uniform, said Tamara Griggs, a spokeswoman for the Society for Creative Anachronism, a group of 35,000 dues-paying members that stage mock battles, learn arts like calligraphy, and conduct demonstrations in shopping malls. Agan belongs to the organization. During this kind of like, uh, essentially, they're, they remind me, at least, of Civil War reenactors. Yeah, know? I mean, they, they are. It's essentially medieval um, you know, warrior uh, right. reenactors. People that just really get into history. During the winter, the society holds one-on-one combat events at churches and schools. In better weather, regional groups called kingdoms rent campgrounds and stage epic battles with as many as a thousand soldiers per side. That's a that's a big battle. Uh, mm, Portsmouth that principal is. Robert Littlefield said allowing a student to brandish a weapon in his senior portrait was against school policies. The school isn't obligated to provide a forum for every student's outside interests, he said. Littlefield said, "I don't see our action as discouraging anyone's hobby." I don't see our yearbook as a vehicle where we guarantee everyone an opportunity to broadcast their hobby to our audience. But, sir, this is a government school. And in a government school, the rules should be a little more lax as far as what can go into the school yearbook. In that it's your senior page. The whole purpose behind a senior page, as I understand it, is that you can show who you are. You can show your interests. Well, show photos of things that you enjoy, family members, friends, that sort of thing. What if you were an archery student? Mm-hmm. I mean, would you be allowed to show your bow and arrow? Apparently not. Uh, you say apparently, but I think you would. I'll bet you there's been several senior pages with archers on it. I don't know about that. I don't think they actually have classes for archery anymore, Mark. Not in, maybe not in school, but right. it's a it's a hobby that's... Not uncommon, and and some boys are into it. I think that uh, why would they? Why in your mind would they allow an archer, but not someone with a sword strapped to it? Because back? archer archery is more commonly accepted. Uh, you know, it's it's a Boy Scout thing, and and uh, I think that they would definitely allow that rather than you know the sword carrying. Yeah, stuff but we've is, seen we've seen stories about school pictures in the past, or at least one where a gentleman was holding a rifle. And what's the difference between a uh, rifle range and an archery range? They didn't they didn't like the guy with the rifle. I don't see why they would like the guy with a bow and, air, and arrow. But that's your suggestion. We've never seen the case, so we can't really comment. Littlefield, the principal, or the ACLU, which filed a suit in federal court in December, calls the zero-tolerance policy inconsistent. It points out that the school's mascot, a patriot is sometimes shown carrying a weapon. Hmm, that's an excellent point. A federal judge asked the state education commissioner to offer a recommendation in the case. He's expected to do so within weeks. Egan came to the society through his mother, Heidi, who sews and sells reenactment clothing to medieval fans. They really appreciate people researching things, whether it's textiles to armor or food and any of the skills that would have been applicable, she said. She said she learned to spin wool through the organization. She said the high school's decision sends a bad message about free thinking and individuality and could conceivably lead to the school to ban masterpieces like Shakespeare's Macbeth, which depicts a fatal stabbing. The school Now, that's not likely. The school's not going to ban violent works from the, from, the, uh, from the English classroom. They just don't want pictures of weapons in their yearbook. 
So I don't see it going that far, but I see I see where she's coming from. She says the schools have gotten in so into standardization that they're starting to push it on the kids. Ed Morrill of hey, guess what, sweetie? It's been going that way for decades. They've been pushing uh, one-size-fits-all mentality on students ever since the uh, beginnings of government schooling. Morrill, uh, Ed Morrill of New York, a regional director whose society alter ego is Viscount Edward Zifran of Gendi, called the group a very good place for someone to come and learn something new. Morrill, who began attending society events in 1973, said a lot of people don't understand the group's appeal, but he does. It's not your father's organization. It's something that's different, but something that is socially acceptable. Society member Nicole Toscano understands the passion that would make someone pose for the yearbook in armor. The student at Simmons College in Boston joined the society at age seven and works out to keep fit for marks uh, for mock sword fights. And, and carrying that armor around, I would assume. She says, it's just like any other sport or any martial art. I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed doing it just like I was playing football, said Toscano, who also practices calligraphy. Again, Agin, who is, not, who is considering joining the military after graduating this year, said he'll likely opt for a pink tuxedo, not armor, to wear to his senior prom. Now, I wonder about uh, this zero-tolerance policy, if indeed the, the policy is that no weapons are allowed. Well, what about a martial artist? I mean, those hands, those fists, those uh, legs, those I, are deadly weapons. In some, um, in some states and municipalities, they're considered deadly weapons. Right. So what if there's a, somebody posing in his, uh, his martial, out, uh, martial arts outfit? That's even better than, uh, than coming up with the archery thing. I, I hadn't thought of that. That one they would probably allow in. Yeah. But it's very clear that he's posing with his deadly weapons. It, it's, it's, after all, a martial art. In the meantime, uh, the young man plans to take part in more reenactments. He says, I've actually been talking to a knight to become a squire, said he. <laughs> said he. <laughs> well. 800-259-9231. Do you have any examples of zero-tolerance insanity? If so, want to hear from you at 800-259-9231. I've got another one. This one from uh, CBS2 in Chicago. Plainfield, Illinois. A 13-year-old Plainfield boy and his parents are stunned and outraged after the teen found a gun in school. And turned it in. Who then? The authorities then expelled him. God. CBS 2's Dana Kozlov reports Ryan Morgan's parents and supporters attended the school board meeting Wednesday night to try to fight the expulsion. They believe the punishment and the subsequent alternative school option are not the proper responses to a mistake made by a teenage boy. Apparently the mistake was to turn in the gun. Yeah. He'd have been I, fine I, if he just put it in his backpack and uh, went about his day. Yeah, carried it around with him. Ryan Morgan, who's 13, says he pocketed a pellet gun that he and a friend found in their school's bathroom to keep people safe. It was a pellet gun. Morgan's mother says a short time later, Morgan gave the gun to Troy Middle School's assistant principal. I told you that maybe the, that wasn't the best decision to remove that gun, but it did, uh, did lead you to finding the culprit. He was arrested, and to put my son in alternative school, he has no behavior problems, his mother said. The Morgans say there was no reasoning with the principal or the school superintendent. He said, the board can give your son a full two-year expulsion. I'm asking you not to go before them, Audrey Morgan said. They went anyway, saying they had nothing to lose, only to see the meeting minutes already recommend expulsion. Roy Morgan says he can't accept that, but accepts his son's decision. He said, I'm going to turn this in, and you know what? I commend my son for making that decision. It was the right decision, he said. School board officials issued a statement Wednesday night saying that due to confidentiality reasons, they can't discuss the specifics of this case, but that, quote, purposeful possession of weapons is a serious offense and deserves careful consideration by the administration and the school board, unquote. Huh. So uh, 
he just found it and turned it in. And found a gun in the bathroom, turned it in. God, and, and they're going to... Expulsion. That's ridiculous. He's lucky he's not being charged with a crime at this point. He's the lucky? Way, the, well, the way the country is today? That's nuts. The way the government is today? Yeah, it is nuts. And this is how it works. So, kids, here's the lesson. You learn, you learn the lesson here tonight on Free Talk Live. If you find a weapon at school, best to just leave it where it is. Yeah, for God's sakes, don't tell anybody. Right. Don't tell anybody that you know where it is, because if you tell somebody, they'll think you're the one who put it there. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that anyone else, um, any, any other school board official would think that this was sane, but here it happened. It's just zero tolerance is insanity, and the people in charge of government schools have been infected with insanity. And you need to get your kids out. If they're in government schools, whew, do what you can to get them out as soon as possible. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. We'll be back tomorrow night online in the meantime. Join us at freetalklive.com. Do you feel like you should be free to live your life however you want, so long as your actions don't harm anyone else? There's good news. You are not alone. Do you like to build things? Have you ever cut wood with a tool? Are you tired of poor quality goods found in the Megalomart? If you answered yes to any of these questions, woodcraftplans.com has a fun project for you to make. We have hundreds of blueprints and patterns which can help all skill levels of craftspeople make wooden lawn furniture, bedroom furniture, yard decor like wishing wells and shadow figures, rocking horses, and a lot more. Visit woodcraftplans.com today. Get a plan and start building. That's woodcraftplans.com.